Good morning, good morning. It is wonderful to be here this morning. Uh, last week I was not here. Uh, my wife and I and four others were in Ecuador. Yeah, meeting, uh, meeting up with Pastor Clint and, and Maggie and their family. And, uh, man, it was awesome. The day we left was a wonderful surprise. Didn't have to wear masks in the airport and the flights. I was excited for that. I felt like the Lord answered my prayer and my prayer only. He answered my whining, and it was wonderful. Um, it was a great trip, and, and um, you know, seeing what God is doing there was just awesome. Um, we, in seven more weeks, we'll take a group of 12 of us up there. Um, you know, seeing Clint and Maggie is just dear, dear friends. Um, Maggie led, led us on a devotion on that Thursday. She made me cry. Um, made everybody else cry too. It wasn't just me. Um, but, you know, one of our big purposes there was obviously to, to spread the word of God and see the kingdom of God built up, but it was also to encourage our missionaries. Um, and so it was just awesome, man. The family of God is bigger than what we understand. Um, and hopefully you, you get a glimpse of that this morning. Like our blood family, our immediate family, praise God for that, right? But our spiritual family, and it's bigger than Emmaus, it's bigger than Springfield, it is such a beautiful thing. Amen? It's a sacred thing. That's one of the reasons why we're here together, um, to equip you, but also connect you to the body of God. And it's, if you feel alone, man, it's not God's design for you. Right? That's an attack of the enemy. If you feel like you don't have a place in the kingdom of God, that's an attack of the enemy. Uh, it has nothing to do with the teaching this morning, but I just feel like God um, had me say that today, man. What the Lord wants to do to us this morning is to invite us into his kingdom, into his gospel, but also into the family of God. This morning, we're going to um, be teaching out of Matthew 10, 34 to 39, as we continue to go through this gospel. Um, you go ahead and read that with me. Um, Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your word and for your truth. Holy Spirit, speak to your bride this morning. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here, and we desperately need you to teach us this morning. God, have your way in the name of Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the first thing we want to look at in this, you know, seemingly when you first look at it, this passage is, is supposed to kind of to, to grip you, right? This is the peaceful Jesus. This is the Jesus that will soon be riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. This is the Jesus that gave his life and as the first New Testament church was reading this, again, Jesus puts a headliner out there. And this Jesus says he brings a sword. 
we want to look at this and what this means. And again, this is supposed to kind of stop us right where we're at. And, and as we're like, yeah, Jesus is, is, is my Savior. He's the best. He's like loves me. He cares about me. He says, but don't forget, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. What does that mean? We look at John 3, 16 and 17, very popular passage. Right? It almost comes like it seems to contradict it when I look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So when Jesus is saying he's bringing a sword, he's not on a, um, on a condemning mission. Right? He, but he's on, on, on a saving mission. But to do this, he must bring a sword. Jesus brings a divisive message. The world as it is isn't okay. However, there are many that believe the world is fine just the way it is, and where it's headed is even better. Like their hope is in the world and technology and man. If you notice society, as long as society continues to grow, we we like to put ourselves even, like we are the answer to everything. And there are many that would say this world is not broken. In fact, it's wonderful, and it's getting better. It's progressing to better things. Condemnation, which God did not come to condemn, it tells us this will always be this way, and we will just save ourselves. The gospel says you are made to be free and with your heavenly Father. So when we look at this, when Jesus brings a sword, he's talking about his message. His message to a world Like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn. There are some that would not be poor in spirit. They don't think there's anything wrong with this world. They're not mourning. They are the first, and they want to be the first in everything. See, this Jesus that we look at today, and that's why we're going through the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says and teaches things that will go against our culture. Just like 2,000 years ago, it was going against the culture, even the religious culture. And the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus of the Bible, will go against our culture most of the time. And there's different seasons where sometimes the church is really like speaking into the culture and they almost mirror one another. But now we're in a season where obviously that is not the way it is. Honestly, sometimes that's the best thing for the church. As we look at this, when Jesus brings a sword, it's really important for us to stop and look, who is Jesus? Is he wrathful and grumpy? Is he Mr. Rogers? Is he Care Bear Jesus? Right? Who, who is this Jesus? We as Christians, do we, do we, do we go and, and do we have a bumper sticker that coexists? Right? Coexist, we just all get along. Don't mean to put that down. And if you have that on your on your on your car, like I'm not wanting to make an enemy of you today, you might hate me after this. But that is an unbiblical answer. Jesus didn't come to say, let's just all coexist, all roads lead to heaven, do whatever. No, he came to say, This is a broken world, and it wasn't meant to be broken. So when Jesus is saying he's he's bringing the sword. There's some things that we have to wrestle with as well. And something that an unbelieving world would say, if Jesus is so 
loving, if Jesus is so radical, if Jesus is so in charge, if Jesus is so compassionate, then why aren't Christians? Right? And when the, the world paints a picture of Jesus that isn't always biblical, but you know what? Sometimes so do Christians. So uh, it's important for us to look as we're following. Man, I want to follow Jesus of the Bible, right? The, 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 the first and the last, the great I am. And so I wrestle with this Jesus who loved me and he saved me and is the kindest thing I know. And he's called me to peace and he's called you to peace as well according to his word. But then he also says, I've come to bring a sword. If Jesus is so loving, then why aren't Christians? If Jesus is so radical, then sometimes why aren't Christians? If Jesus brings a sword, then why don't Christians? So this should really speak to us this morning. And number one, the reason why sometimes that we, we don't always represent Jesus well is because, first of all, we're not Jesus. <laughs> we're humans. We're imperfect Right? There's, there's some just humanness. You know, our job is to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, introduce them to the supernatural God that we know. But then also, the number two reason why sometimes when we put in that blank, whatever it is, they're like, man, why is the, the church not more loving and understanding, but also walking in righteousness? Yes, it's because sometimes we're human, but also sometimes because we're not representing well the Jesus of the Bible. And to represent Jesus of the Bible, we need the Bible. Amen? We need the Spirit of God. I want us to look at some things that Jesus teaches that are just difficult. And again, as we were looking a year ago, going through the, the Gospel of Matthew, which is really long, but really needed, it's because we were realizing even in, in, in our church and in our community, people would say things about Jesus that we were like, I don't know if that is really representing who Jesus is. Whether it be condemnation or whether it be this almost like Care Bear Jesus, this Jesus would never tell you that you're wrong. This Jesus that would, ne a Jesus that would never tell you that you're wrong is not on a saving mission. That Jesus has no power, has no redemption. The Jesus that doesn't believe in right and wrong is not Jesus of the Bible. So let's look at some things that Jesus says. He tells us in John 3, 3, that all must be born again. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That is everyone. From the worst person you can think of to the best person that you can think of, we all need Jesus. He tells us the first is last and the last is first. Matthew 20, 16. Right? Talk about going against the American way, the Western world. Right? Our motto is what we teach kids. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody, and I'm not even talking about the political thing. It's the greed that we struggle with in the Western world. And sometimes the church is no different. We want to see a move of God. And sometimes to see a move of God, we've got to get in the back seat. And let God move forward. Let God uh, lead up le leaders that he wants to lead up. And sometimes that's not you. Sometimes it's not me. Right? The first will be last and the last will be first. It's a kingdom understanding. And one of the things that we get with that, and if you walk with Jesus enough, you understand every room in his house is good. So you're like, 
Jesus, I'll be first in your kingdom. I'll be last in your kingdom. Right? That's how good God is. But it goes against the grain of our culture. Here's two more. Love your enemies. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you the truth. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Anyone have a hard time praying for your enemies? Right? It's a culture thing. It's a heart thing. It's a human thing that contradicts the kingdom that God has for us. That's the sword. Yeah, I find that hard too. But God has it for us. To turn the other cheek, Matthew 5, 38 to 40. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a truth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. That's a hard one. Turn the other cheek. God's not telling us to be passive, but he is saying make room for his judgment, for his wrath, for his forgiveness, for his favor for someone else, especially your enemy. It goes against the grain, even in the United States right now. God or money? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one. And despite the other, you cannot serve both God and money. We don't live in a culture that loves money. Right? Christians don't care about money. Ouch. Right? We, man, some, some of us in here, like even some of us are really good at money. Some of us are bad at money can be in love with money too. Right? It's not about it's not a sin to have finances in favor. Right? I've seen I've seen some of the most radical people that are in love with Jesus and most giving with more money than I can even like can fathom. And I've seen people that are way poorer than I can imagine be in love with money. It's this thing in America, and some of us even right now is is inflation up and down and up and down. And again, I understand you gotta feed your family. I'm right there with you. I'm frustrated with some things in this world. I'm right there with you. But in Jesus brings a sword that some of us, our faith is being dictated on this. Our generosity is being dictated on this. Our hope is being dictated on this, which is why God says you cannot serve him and money. And we think, we always think, he's talking about the rich, rich people. And guess what? You can always find someone richer than yourself. Jesus is the only way to the Father. For the bleeding hearts in here, this is hard for us to hear. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus brings a sword. And he brings a sword to the society that we live in. But he also brings one into the church. Why? Because we're affected by society. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. I'm affected by society, so are you. And so the Lord, by his grace and glory, says, man, I just want to sit you down today. And I just want to speak to you about my word and my truth. And hopefully, like some of these verses that we don't just casually just go, like, right by them. Right? Because I'm just so good. I'm just so in tune. Like, no. Like, turn the other cheek. This is hard. When I see someone that is so good, but they don't love God, that should break my heart, but my bleeding evil heart will go, they're probably good enough. 
they're probably okay. Right? Do you see why Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword, not peace? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And some of the things we pray for, how God rocked their world, whatever it would take, that they would bend a knee before you, Lord, because everyone will eventually bend a knee. May it happen now rather than later for eternity. Do we get that? He's the only way. There is a right and wrong. The great late Keith Green, who uh, was a worship leader way before my time, and, and probably a lot of us in here, but some of you guys know him, but he said this, no compromise is what the gospel of Jesus is all about. For I tell you, no man can serve two masters. And he quotes Matthew 6, 24. And a day when believers seem to be trying to please both the world and the Lord, which is an impossible thing. When people are far more concerned about offending their friends than offending God, there is only one answer. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Amen? And this was written almost 40-something years ago. Times have changed so much. As we go to the next point for this morning, be reminded we are a peaceful people. Now I remind you, God has called us to turn the other cheek, to walk in his peace, the peace of the gospel. We are a peaceful people carrying a dangerous message. And those that reject it, it is a sword to them. It is death to them. You turn the light on for someone, sometimes it is great, other times they're a little cranky, right? Right? We don't have to have the world not love Christians because we're jerks. We don't need any help in that. Don't be a jerk. Right? Got to hear that today. In the name of Jesus, don't be a jerk. But you just tell people that there's a right and a wrong. There's eternal heaven and there's eternal hell. Watch people get angry. Some of the angriest people that I've ever talked to is because I talk to them that anyone can be forgiven. Because of Jesus. Because the world, there are a lot of bumps and bruises, there are a lot of unforgiveness. You want to see people just get mad, talk to them about forgiveness. You mean that person can be forgiven if they gave their life to Jesus Christ? Yes, that person. Watch people get angry. Or the other side of it. That person in that other country or down the neighborhood where it seems so good, and you say, that person, if they don't know God, has an eternal place that's not in heaven. Watch people get angry. Jesus brings a sword. And that sword, hopefully, it affects you as well as it affects me. The second thing we want to look at this morning is where Jesus says, in this, you will lose your life, you will actually find it. And we see this in verses 35 through 38. And I want to read these again because they're hard to hear and they're supposed to be hard to hear. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he says, those that want, if they lose their life, they'll find it. It's always been one of my favorite passages. I've always 
clung to the last part in verse 38, but not so much the rest of it. What is Jesus saying here? What is he saying as you're giving us permission to be rude to our family members, like all the mother-in-laws out there? Let's look. I can be rude to you now. God said, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) See, the mother-in-law is saying, better knock it off. What's he saying there? We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to visit that because that's, that's not, not what he's saying. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Which says there's a choice, isn't there? Jesus in John 10.10 10 is saying there's a thief. And he's a lot of territory in this world, in this fallen world. And he's, he's telling you, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But then there's this other choice. But I have come that you would have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it, but he has to bring a sword to do that. See, there's, there's two choices in here. The problem in this choice, and by God's grace, he's given us choice, but the problem in this choice is we want autonomy. Even those people that say, man, they're so angry on a God, with a God that they don't believe on why the world is the way it is. And a lot of it is they're, they're really struggling with God's extreme grace and his extreme judgment. And this autonomy that we want, this, the definition of autonomy is the right or condition to self-government. It just says God. It, it's like opposite of thy will be done, thy kingdom come. It actually goes, means not your will be done, but my way. But God says No. You're not going to have it your way completely. I'm going to come in with a message of the gospel. I'm going to bring a sword and wake my people up. And those that hear the message will be saved. And those that reject the message will not be. And they will finally get their autonomy. It's hard to hear. The gospel is the good news, but it's offensive for those that don't want to hear it. And when we look at John 10, 10, again, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life. And for the, for the church, this is something that we have to constantly wrestle with. These choices that God gives us. Satan always, even when you're saved, man, he's still trying to, he can't destroy you anymore, but he can steal and kill. He still has claws. He still can make some room in your house if you let him. See, sometimes like the world, we we want our autonomy too. And some of the most miserable people I know are Christians that know he is God, know he is king, but they live a complete different way. The most miserable thing for us would be that God is not in charge and that he is not sovereign. Right? That God actually has rules and he has teachings for us that are actually good for us. This morning I want to look at just three ways that I believe that the enemy is lying to us as Americans and as people living in Springfield. Just different ways that the enemy comes in and says, man, how can I get the saints? Like you realize the gospel, the word of God says that you are a saint. Is it because you're good? Nope. Calls you a saint because you've been sanctified. You've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And Satan hates that. 
He is your enemy. He is the enemy of this world at John 10.10. He's always trying to kill. He's always trying to steal. And there's some ways that he steals in the American church all of the time. And the first one, and I believe this is probably the hardest one because it's in our culture, is that you are number one. And this is a lie from the enemy. And the West, this is our lens. We weigh out everything from this view. How good the restaurant is, how good our family picture is, how good our marriage is. is all, and I'm right there. I'm right there. My marriage is usually good if I think it's awesome. Right? Whatever vacation we go on is usually good if I think it's awesome. Right? That's, and that's okay. That's okay. But if that is your lens on everything, it becomes this daunting, miserable place. Self-care. There are a thousand books written on self-care, and it's an important to have self-care. Self-care is saying you need to take care of you. But you need to take care of yourself, have rest, have a vacation, have some just you time, but for the right reasons, so you can take care of others and serve God. Like, we have to be careful in the United States with self-care. Why? Because we're really good at caring for ourselves and not caring for other people. Self-care is important. Exercise, rest, a little alone time. I believe in them. But you know what? I'm tempted by them as well. Those that know me know I'm very introverted. I like my alone time. And I can even blame God for my own selfishness. Right? Oh, Lord, you've called me to this. Thank God for the Holy Spirit and my wife. Right? She will call me out. You're being a selfish person. Yes, I am. Number one, you are not number one, God is. This quote um, from a celebrity, I'm not, I'm not putting his name out there because it's not the point. But this is kind of like how the rich of the rich of our world sometimes look at, look at God and his word. And he says this, I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say I'm the best. And then I give eternal happiness. If you won't, then you don't get it. It seemed about ego. I can't see God operating from ego. It made no sense to me. And this is from a very popular generational actor. And what's crazy, if you look at a lot of quotes from people from Hollywood, very famous people, one of the reasons why they would reject God is this, is this very thing that this man is saying here. This God that says, and that's what he's saying, and if, if you lose your life, you would find it. What is God saying here? That he has to be number one, not you. And that there are many people that would be number one in their life on everything would say, I can't believe God would want to be number one. How selfish and egotistical of God. Well, if anyone else says that, which we say it all the time, that we're in charge, that we're number one, it is selfish and it's wrong. But for God, it is righteous because you can actually back it up. And again, one of the main things that I see when I'm like talking to people about God's word and his right and wrong, it's not the right and wrong that they always really have a problem with it. It's really that God gets to say how far the ocean goes. 
Francis Bacon said this. A little knowledge of science makes you an atheist, but in-depth knowledge of science makes you a believer in God. Something that um, Francis Bacon actually did was a little thing called the scientific method. Um, so he might have known what he's talking about. And I would say this, too, for Christians. A little knowledge of God's word might make you an atheist or a progressive or an agnostic. That's why we study the word of God by the spirit of God. And in the United States, we're in a very dangerous place of that. 90% of people in the world believe in a higher power. Yet only about 50% in America would say the sovereign God of the Bible reigns. There's really not even that many atheists in this world. There's only about 10% of the world that would say there's no God. But there are many that will not bow to this God. I love what C.S. Lewis says. It says, atheists express their rage against God, although in their view he does not exist. Ever wonder why people are mad at something that they don't even exist? Or even someone's an agnostic, they're so mad, and they're like, but it doesn't matter. I'm like, why are you mad at the God that you say exists but doesn't matter? Anyways, that's another thing another time. Jesus is saying, like, even the, the people in your household, is he, is he saying to be mean to your parents? No, we know this. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Right? He's, not, he's not saying that you should be rude to your parents. Like the Bible's very clear about that. He's not saying that you shouldn't. In fact, what, something is, that's hard in our culture, too, we're not very honoring to the older generations. We're just not. God isn't saying like, to be rude, but he's saying that he is more important than them. Is God telling us, when he's saying that he's bringing a sword, that we're supposed to be violent? No. That in the garden, when the soldiers are coming to get Jesus, and, 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 and Peter cuts off a guy's ear, in Matthew 26, 52, Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Jesus is saying, he's number one in your life, even above your children above your spouse, above everything. And this isn't to, isn't to condemn you, it's to save you. Jesus brings a divisive message and there's no negotiating about it. Second thing that the enemy likes to really get us with is our time. How you spend your time really speaks to what is important to you. And our mission is to love God and love people. In Luke 9.60, a man comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And God says, okay, come on. He says, wait a minute, i got to go bury my father first. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And we know that this man says no. Time management. I'm not talking about your calendar. I'm not talking about what's happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday talking about our heart towards God, where we just fill up the days of our lives. Why do we do that? Because the life that we live is but a mist. There are many in this world that would say, man, I'm not going to give my life to God. Life is too short, and this is the only one that I see. This is why the, the believing spirit is so important. We must believe and know that there's more to this life than living and dying. No, don't succumb to that 50-hour work week just to live for the weekend. 
But don't live to this life that it's all about you. If life is all about you, then your schedule is going to be all about you. We're Americans and our time is important. And I'm not saying that we should have four and five hour worship services. But something statistics say is that the church, in the church, you'll get about an hour and a half a week. That's with church and small groups and everything, which is why services are becoming smaller. I have no problem with church services like diminishing in time because the Spirit of God is working that way. You can, just, you can be just as ungodly in a 20-minute service as you can in a five-hour one. But it's our hearts where we say, God, take my life and save me, but you need to get in line, Jesus, because I have things to do. Do we get it? Like the, it, it matters. Pray over your calendar. Let your yes be your yes and let your no be your no. This week, when you're looking at what your family's to do, give it to Jesus. You might even be like, are there any people out there that are addicted to doing stuff? Raise your hand. I've always done better if I'm busy. But that doesn't mean God always wants me busy. Amen? God works in the movement where we just say, God, this is yours to fill up. And guess what? He'll do it. The last one is our treasures. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In America, in Springfield, we had a lot of finances. And praise God for that. There's things that God wants to do with that. But the enemy also likes to take that, that covetedness. And this, again, it's not how much money you have in the, in the bank account. We always look, oh, that person that's rich. Oh, no, no, it, this is for all of us. Right? The things that we want capture our heart, and they can start to dictate our generosity. They can start to dictate what we're going to do with our lives. Right? Most of us in America live in just this, 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 this field of fear. Well, what happens when I'm this age? What happens when I'm that age? What happens when, like we live in a world where we're telling God, we don't expect you to show up. And we see this. Same thing in Luke 18, 18 through 27. And I want to read this with you guys. So a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is, impossible with one, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Again, it's not how much is in your bank account. It's how much your bank account has your heart. The enemy is great at lying to us about putting us in charge of everything. The enemy is great to us about stealing our time. The enemy is great at lying to us about our treasures. And for you, maybe that treasure, it's not your bank account, but maybe it's whatever material thing that just, man, it consumes you. Ever heard of a monkey trap? 
Raise your hand if you've heard of a monkey trap. Okay. If you haven't, you're welcome. So a monkey track, it was really simple. Monkeys, monkeys are not that smart, although to some they think are distant relatives. There's basically a, a hole that's, that, that's just big enough for your hand to get through or a monkey's hand. And then you'll grab an object, right? And that monkey will grab that, that object, that piece of fruit, that whatever, right? And, and they can easily get out. They can easily get out if they will let go of whatever that is on the other side. But they won't. And they will be trapped because they're not going. It's very simple trap. And it works. And it works on us all the time. See, a monkey trap isn't that big of a deal if you're not entrapped on what's on the other side. You just got to let go of that silly thing for you to have life, which is exactly what Jesus is saying. Those that want to find their life are going to have to lose their life. Why does God talk about this? Man, I come in with a sword, and he's talking to his people, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even when you've accepted it and you're too much in the world can be a divisive thing for you. But Lord, I want to worry. Like, like seems really good or whatever that, that, that piece of fruit is to make disgusting things sound great. Some of us are addicted to worrying, and we hate worrying. But it's, it's what's on the other side. Ask this morning, what has God called you to? Think about that for a second as we're closing. Like, what has God called you to? Like, we have the very over, overarching things that we're all called to, but then it gets very specific. Like, what are the things that God has called you to? And I would say this, whatever that is that the Lord is starting to, to bring to your mind, you better believe that Satan is a part of the monkey trap that is against whatever that is. I remember 24 years ago being called into ministry, and I had all these excuses, right? Because of my upbringing, I didn't have all the answers of theology. Be because of some of my questions and sin in my life, I didn't like pastors, Right? Because like many uh, young 20-somethings, I was worried about finances. And I'm like, the pastors I know are poor. The pastors I know are boring. That's what I thought. I'm like, and I'm like, I don't even know what denomination I'd be a part of. Am I Baptist or am I Pentecostal? Like, what am I? And you know what? Before I was called into ministry, God answered none of those. Not a single one. And praise be to God, because he needed a servant that was going to say, yes, Lord. And before I said yes to the calling in my life, I was one of the most miserable Christians you would ever have met. Right? I even had, I remember a teacher at Evangel University, I asked her, I said, you don't like me, do you? She said, no, I do not. Because I was that annoying kid, I was skipping in class, all I cared about was football and girls. And I was miserable because I had this calling in my life. All of us have a calling in our lives and in different seasons. And Satan wants to take that calling. And for me, my monkey trap was all those questions I had. They were good questions. But it was also because of my heart they were bad questions. And the only way that I would walk into ministry is I let go of that and say, okay, God. And you know what's crazy? I have not wondered about my life in that way in 24 years. It's been one of the biggest blessings of my life. 
And for you, some of us are called to ministry in the way that I am. Some of us are called to be teachers. Some of us are called to be principals. Some of us are called to be contractors. But it's all for the Lord. Like, what is the Lord calling you to be? And walk into it and understand the enemy wants you to hold on to your addiction. He wants you to hold on to For some of us, it's not even a calling right now. It's sin. It's an addiction that you won't let go. It's a relationship you won't let go. So for some of us, it's worry. For some of us, it's depression. For some of us, it's anxiety. For some of us, it's guilt. Like there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Some, like that sword comes in on us. Like condemnation sells in America. It, it sells in our religious services. Like, my job as a pastor isn't to be the sin police. My job as a pastor is to preach the word of God and let the spirit of God move. God can convict you of sin. I'm going to talk about it, but my job isn't to chase you and make you feel bad about yourselves. But some of us don't understand the difference between condemnation and freedom. And we just live in that guilt. We live in that worry. For some of us this morning, we have to let go of those things. Like, I didn't go into ministry because I was perfect or without sin. I didn't go into ministry because I had all the answers on theology or, or where I was going to live and who I was going to marry. Like, none of those. But I trusted in Jesus. And that's what he's called us to do. You know, as, as I close, we talked about Ecuador in the beginning and going to Ecuador. And um, going to the airport and getting ready to leave last Saturday before we took the red eye, you know, we're praying for Clinton Maggie, and we're asking, like, well, what, what's something you guys need prayer for? And they're like, man, it's, it's crazy. God is just opening up so many doors. It's, there's just so many things to do. We, 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 we can't do all of them. So we really need discernment from the Holy Spirit on what to do. I'm like, yeah, man, I can, I can see that because God is, like, God is moving. And I was like, you know, as I prayed for them, I asked God's forgiveness for myself, and sometimes the way we see things. Because you go in a place like Ecuador, which is considered a third world country, and even where they live in the highlands, which is a little bit nicer than where we normally go, it's just easy to look at people and go, man, they must need something. They live a little bit different than us. And one of the biggest struggles that we have in the United States is we look at people and we go, they have a nice house, they must be good. They have lots of kids, they must be good. They drive a nice car, they must be good. What could they need. And it's exactly God. That's the end. They need Jesus. Man, Satan is so good at fooling us. But God's given us a choice that it doesn't have to be that way. A couple questions as we close. Number one, do you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior? And it's important that we would see that he's Lord and Savior. He's Savior because he saved us. But do we believe he's Lord, too, of everything, of all? He's number one. He gets my time. He gets the best seat. He gets, like, he has my heart. But sometimes Satan wants my heart. Sometimes Satan wants your heart. But God is the one who gets it. Put him in the place as Lord and Savior. And then the last question is, what do you need to surrender to God? Is it your marriage? Is it your retirement? Is, is it your future spouse? Is it your singleness? Is it your sexuality? Is it your 
anger? Is it your unforgiveness? Like, what is it that you, man, I need, this has become number one in my life. What is it that you need to surrender to God? I remember years ago and struggling with anxiety. And what I hated about anxiety is all I could think about. Before I went into ministry, God had me give up football because football was all I could think about. And then in ministry, it was worry. And you would think, you would think that worry would have been easier to give to God than football. Some of you non-athletes are like, amen. But it wasn't. It was an addiction. I, for a while, I didn't know how to think of any other way, and God had to take me to a place that just broke me, and I just started worshiping him and worshiping. And, like, worship took the place of worry. What do you need to surrender to God? If you guys can stand with me, we're going to close. In the back, there's communion, and we encourage you to take it. As believers, you know, being reminded of God's body that was given to us, his blood that was shed for us, that we can be forgiven and set free now and for eternity. We don't have to wait for eternity to be set free. And there are also people back there that would love to pray with you. As I was talking, if you're one of those people that you're talking about addictions, we're talking about stuff to surrender. Now, the way God has set it up, that's not just going to be you and Jesus. Right, that has, like He has put a family of His hands and feet around you to pray for you, to speak into your life. When I, when the Lord uh, conquered anxiety out of my life, I didn't walk through it alone. Let's pray, Father God, we love you and we praise you. God, you haven't come to give peace to this world, but but to a sword. And the reason why is because this world is broken. This place is but a mist. And in this place, we get to see the kingdom of God was also the kingdom of hell. And there is a choice. Would we follow the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he does it in disguise? Or would we follow the one that came to save us, but he must be number one in our lives? If not, we will never bow to him. Lord, Father, we give you our idols, whether it be anxiety or depression. God, we give you our need for autonomy. We don't, I don't want to be in charge of my life. You get to decide the days of my life. Lord God, we give you our time. God, as a church, we would not walk in a religious spirit, but we walk in the Holy Spirit. Open up our days, close up our days, talk to us in the secret places, talk to us in the open places. Would we see this world, this United States of America, is yes, blessed by God, but also attacked by the enemy, and we need you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for the bride, thank you for your word. May she go out by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would we see what is broken, but also come with the only message that will fix it. 
and that is Jesus and his gospel. Father, we love you and we praise you.